Last week on the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. She's got a street named after her. <laughs> they did it the lazy way. <laughs> they did do it the lazy way. It's like me picking the Eagles. You're <laughs> an agonizer. It's <laughs> Whatever, anything, okay? Because, you know, Kenny Loggins turned into Mr. Movie singer guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mr. Movie Singer Guy. <laughs> because that record, he wasn't talking about I'm the Great Pretender pounding on my fender. Yeah. Which has to be one of the, the worst, you know. I, I need to get Jackson Brown a rhyming book. Yeah. Oh, my God. Maybe you could borrow it from Paul Simon's nephew. Record the song because it reminded him of his rural childhood in Arkansas. As a dirt farmer. Yeah. <laughs> And his arrangement became a huge hit. What does a dirt farmer harvest? Dirt? <laughs> dirt. <laughs> oh, uh, I use that term all the time, but, but the thing is, you got all these homesteaders and this and that and the other thing, and then it doesn't rain. And and she had Mike line on in probably the Volkswagen bus. And someone called up and says, hey, Mike, uh, or whoever the guy was, you know, can you... Can, can you tell me how to get, you know, uh, blood out of a, you know, out of a white shirt? Uh, I can't wait for the Mike Line podcast. Love, soft as an easy chair. <laughs> I'm in my easy chair right now, and it's kind of soft. <laughs> you know, the, the, the mass singer, I thought you were going to say... You know, like the gong show. Wasn't there a mask guy in the gong show? Yeah, he, he wore a paper bag, right? Yeah. <laughs> Two holes cut in the thing, yeah. Oh, so he was a he was a New Orleans Saints fan, huh? Yeah. <laughs> this was a little tough for me because, you know, not wanting to break the rules. The Eagles are completely disqualified this week because I used two of the songs in previous episodes as agonizers. <laughs> He's definitely a polygamist, and uh, <laughs> he's, he's not one of the Osmonds, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> this one's saying, "I gotta pick one." Yeah, yeah. I wonder All if right. she's torn between a blonde guy and a dark-haired guy, because that was the big dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> again and welcome to the 70s weekly countdown with mark and pete a show where two friends review a randomly chosen american top 40 episode from the 1970s the most interesting decade in pop music my name is mark roback and with me is my friend and co-host peter gardo hello peter what's happening howdy mark long time no see yeah i took a long lunch today 
it wasn't that long. And I met Mark in the snooty town across the river. And we went to a burger joint. And I didn't have a burger. Did you have a burger? I did have a burger, yes. Yeah. What did I have? A Reuben or something? Yes. Remember, yeah. we discussed that about our co-worker out, out in Arizona. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, our favorite character from, well, my favorite character from the Partridge family, Reuben Kincaid. Yours is Danny, I think. Yeah. yeah. Ugh. Ugh. So, uh, so we went there because our, our friend uh, uh, John from the Deep Purple podcast was in town at training at his job. After lunch, we went over and we we did some shopping and I bought some bananas and some apples and some soup. And I bought a 12-pack of Narragansett beer for the show. And it was great to see John. So finally, we did all the shopping. We we took some fun pictures of of, of us looking at stuff. Mark was looking at the uh, uh, soon-to-be-recalled frozen berries, right? Yeah. <laughs> and we looked for coffee. They didn't have the coffee that uh, that was wanted. You know what came out of my mother's house, um, and it probably came out of my grandmother's house, my father's mother after she passed away, is a wheeled shopping cart. You know those those metal ones. Oh uh, yeah, that yeah, that, that the or... old Italian lady in, in your hometown would walk around with. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like two wheels, right? Just two, two wheels. wheels. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, my grandmother was the old Bavarian woman with it so i took it it's hanging up in my garage if you want it <laughs> so i can walk the shop yeah yeah i'll, I'll pass on that i think <laughs> what you're gonna you're gonna increase your carbon footprint so yeah yeah to buy your your sodium laden meat products yes yeah. and your sugar laced candy yes <laughs> you're you're commenting on what i bought today and, oh what'd you uh, buy uh, I bought. Oh, some, I bought some candy too. Yeah, yeah. I bought some candy, and then I looked at the slip when I got home. I was like, "Holy crap! That candy was ten bucks." Ooh, <laughs> it better be good. I haven't tried it yet. And yeah. then I bought some pierogies, uh, some some chips, and something else. I I can't remember, but yeah, but yeah. So you're critiquing what I bought because I put it in your cart. <laughs> did you take my 12 pack of narragansett yeah maybe i did <laughs> we have photographic evidence that it made it to the you know through the checkout anyway <laughs> that's right and, and then we get outside and it's kind of raining and and john didn't you know we didn't see john but we had a blast sharing our pitches with with uh rich and with nate and then i'm walking i'm, I'm pushing the cart to the automobile and we were on different parts of the parking lot because i had a call into a two o'clock meeting and um i get panhandled <laughs> and it's like oh yeah got anything you know i i i need to i says well what do you need he says i need some money so i could get somebody to eat yeah. so i gave him two bucks for him to go away okay and last time i was panhandled was in downtown by a guy wearing a Tom Brady uniform or uh, jersey. And uh, of all places, they get panhandled. Yeah. That snooty town and whatever. So, yeah. so I, I put the groceries in the, in the back of the car. The panhandler guy walked away. We got a message from John. Hey, where are you guys? And I might have left it in the cart because I was closing up the door and I was pushing the cart to the 
it could have I could have left it in the cart when I put it next to the building. So. Yeah. Yeah. Not not sure what happened there, but yeah, a lot of stuff went on right when you got out to your vehicle. So yeah, e- easy for that to happen. So did you uh did you have a good lunch? Uh yeah, it was a good lunch. A uh, lot a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Kind of kind of cool to do just because uh you know, John said he was gonna be in our state and not too far away. So yeah, why not? Yeah, I was just going to mention last Thursday, I had a little medical procedure that I had to go and a routine test I have to go for every several years. And um, but you get general anesthesia for it when they were wheeling me into the the exam room before they put me out. You know, we're talking and I said, I'm retired. And they're like, oh, what do you do? And then I told them I had a podcast. I was telling them about the podcast or whatever. And then the nurse anesthesia or the anesthesiologist nurse, she's like, uh, oh, uh, yeah, I'm into 70s music, too, and, uh, and stuff. And, and then she was like, you know, what, who's your favorite all-time artist? And, and, and of course, I was like, yeah, Rory Gallagher. And, <laughs> and, and thinking that they, you know, they hadn't heard of him or whatever. And, and then they just said, oh, or whatever. And then just before I was about to go out, they put on some Rory Gallagher. They they oh, must wow. have Spotify in the thing or something. So nice touch. So it's like the last thing I said before I went out was, "Hey, that's Rory Gallagher." <laughs> did did you uh, give the anesthesiologist one of your uh, '70s Louis Countdown business cards? I, I did not. I didn't have it with me. It was back in my jacket, which was in the little bin they give you to put your personal stuff in. <laughs> that's great. It was great to see you today, and here we are. You know. Three hours, four hours later, whatever it is. So, uh, uh, yeah. nice, nice uh, March rainy day to to move into April. Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. Anyway, so as you can tell, Pete and I have been friends for a long time, thirty plus years. This might be the first time we ever grocery shop together. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no, that's right. When we visited the guys in Rhode Island, we remember we bought some stuff, a chock full of nuts, uh, coffee. That's right. Yeah, some black licorice. <laughs> yeah. A uh, twelve pack of Narragansett. Yeah, we didn't lose that one. <laughs> we did good. You know, I thought I would have been panhandled in that town, not yeah. the town I was in. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, <laughs> in in each of these episodes, we we'll review all forty songs in the chosen weeks countdown and provide some factual information on each song, as well as our personal opinion, stories, and comments related to it. At the end of the episode, we'll provide our individual choices for the best and worst song, a song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer. And we'll give our individual A plus through F grade for the entire countdown. Since nobody has the exact same taste in music, our personal opinions on individual songs may be controversial, but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light, humorous, and hopefully entertaining. Remember, this is just a discussion, not a competition. So please, no wagering. Our faithful listener, Mike T, who I just got a text from just now, he said, uh, he goes, I know you tell tell us not to wager, but I, I kind of bet on what's going to be your best song and worst song and agonize. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully he keeps the profits. Yeah. So uh, today's episode number 47 of the Seven Leagues Weekly Contact with Mark and Pete. American Top 40 from the weekend, April 12th, 1975. And the title of this episode is Chevy Van on the Autobahn. 
So what were you doing in the beginning of April, 1975, or I guess beginning to middle of April? What, what is the, what is the Excel chart say? The Excel chart says that we are actually, it's this episode here. We're 12 days different from, uh, from today to the actual, that's almost two weeks. So, uh, so we apologize for dragging you into April, uh, by the 12th of April, Easter would have happened. And, uh, I guess opening day and, and the masters and yeah so, yeah so a little, yeah. little bit of a flash forward from the past so um but anyhow um yeah so i went to my dad's date book april 12 1975 i was in the fourth grade and in the uh in the date book it says uh canoe races so the engineering school had a concrete canoe competition where you know, Bernoulli's rule and all this other kind of stuff of stuff that's heavy, not sinking because of the displacement and all, you know, go look it up folks, Boy, but it's see. crossed off, it's crossed off. And that was done in the hog river, which is the, the, uh, North branch of the, of the river that goes through our old, uh, alma mater yep. and, park, uh, park river is the real name the, the Yeah. It's, and it's the North branch of the park river and also crossed off with something called the spring swing. But what it says here is Rhode Island. So I said, hmm, Rhode Island. I know what this is all about because I remember I remember that trip to Rhode Island. So sister number three and I, <clears throat> we went to Rhode Island and we visited the Bradners. And the Bradners, uh, Mr. Bradner, Larry, he and my father met each other on the ship in 1954 to uh go over overseas to help uh with the rebuild of of europe after after the war so that was still going on nine years after the uh the war had ended the interesting thing about that is we have family over there like i said my bavarian grandmother so so here's here's a picture for the those of you watching on channel 18 of my father okay Ah, and wow. here he is in in some place so he's 20 years old less than he's 19 years old going wow. to Europe. Okay. he looks young yeah yeah and he's got a nice head of hair he's got a nice suit on i don't have that suit and he's got his luggage in his left hand so i asked my sister i said i said was he my father's roommate or uh you know classmate from college he says no larry and my father met on the boat going overseas because my father borrowed an accordion and was playing the accordion on the on the seven seas boat and larry came over and started singing all right yeah. and I, and i found i not only have postcards and letters and photographs and slides i have my my folks old email all right and here's a letter that my father sent to larry august 27 2008 dear larry in reply to your letter of 15 july 2008 i can say that our friendship started in 1954 in the beer garden on the seven seas ship and it was renewed on the return voyage to New York City. We parted company at the train station in Bremen on July 1st, 1954, where you bought a ticket to Köln and I bought a ticket to Munich. We did not see each other again until we emerged together by chance, leaving the metro in Paris to catch the bus to Le Havre on September 2nd, 1954. So <laughs> my, you know, 
my father knew all, all the dates. <laughs> was, yeah, wow. Yeah. It was great. And he goes on to say that their their friendship of 54 years have endured with a good number of visits together. Uh, my folks, I remember this, in, uh, We as a family, all went to Cape Cod in, in 2008. And my father writes about uh, one visit that was rekindled in uh, my mother's mind was when we were returning from Cape Cod through the Newport, Rhode Island last week. We came over the Newport and Jamestown bridges with a beautiful view of Plum Island and the Lighthouse, recalling our visit over Labor Day weekend in 1960. And mm-hmm. then it goes on with other things. So, And these are the same folks that we visited out at the Indian Reservation in 1973 in uh, uh, in South Dakota. And mm-hmm. uh, so we went to Rhode Island. So there's a picture of my dad in 1954, okay, with a suitcase. And here's a picture of my father and his cousin. Okay. And if you notice over here, I don't know if these are bullet holes left over from the war or just something fell off the building. Yeah. Um, okay. And that's Wiggy. And there's my, uh, my father's cousin, Hubert, okay. all right, who looks a lot like my second cousin, cousin Mickey. They went biking. And here is a photograph at Rhode Island. So there I am reading Dr. Seuss. I don't know the snurts or something. And that's Sam. All right. <laughs> who I haven't seen since then. And there's my sister number three reading Meet Chitty Chitty Bang Bang with Ruth. She's on the right and Sam's on the left. Sam looks like he's three or four years old, you know, sucking his thumb there. And Ruth is <laughs> probably, I don't know, five or six. And then there's Larry and Mrs. Bradner. Huh. So it uh, looks like he's wearing waders. <laughs> yeah, he does. He's got suspenders. <laughs> he's got a Rory Gallagher shirt. <laughs> yeah, so... So the great thing about this podcast is going back and remembering things and and then finding stuff. And I, I think the last time I probably saw the, the Bradners, and I think they were at our wedding, not you and me, but my wife and I. And uh, I, I have to go look at, the, at those photographs. But I can remember being in in April, April 12th, being in uh, being in uh, in Rhode Island. And I think that was my first time ever in Rhode Island. Yeah. Cool. What were you up to? So I was in the fifth grade, had Mrs. Jackson, but um, I'm going to go to uh, Yale's journal. And it's kind of, this is apropos to what you were just talking about, because she's got this that I'm showing on Channel 18. It's a different one, but it says across the top, remember, joys are never past. Just looking at this. So this is. That um, looks like a love is. um, It does. Yeah. It doesn't. See, see it in the back. It says it's a hallmark. Bethany Clark, the artist, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. But this one runs from uh, February 1975 to October 1975, and um, so this this period right here was a very important time for Gail because on April eighth. They had their last performance of Bye Bye Birdie in high school, and Gail was in the play, and that was a big deal for her. And I think I may have showed this before, talked about this before on the podcast, but if you can see that. Yes, yes, you have. Yep. Yep. It's an 11 by 14 photograph. It says it was taken in April 1975 at Bristol Eastern High School. Bob Debonair as Albert Peterson and Gail McIntyre as uh, Alice, the sad girl. The play, yeah, the last performance was on the 8th, and she talked about... It was about, a Tuesday. Yeah. Yep. 
she talked about being really sad that it was it was over because she made a lot of friends and uh, had a real good time doing it. And then just looking at a few other things that are sort of local to us, she talks about on the 11th going to the Ground Round restaurant and staying staying there a long time with her friends, singing along with the piano, uh, the song Hello, Dolly. So uh, do, you, do you remember the Ground Round? Is that the one in Plainville? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's where that's where I saw the, uh, we'd go there quite a bit uh, when the plant was still open. And that's where I went when OJ was um, acquitted. Ah, okay. So I was there with uh, Mr. Noel. And who else was there? Someone else was there. What was that? 1995, I guess. Yeah. 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 I think so. so. Can, can you believe it was that long ago? Yes and no. I mean, I, w- <laughs> I was still, I believe I was still working second shift at the old plant. So while you were at the ground round, I was not too far away <laughs> working. <laughs> well, no, because it was at noontime. It was at lunchtime oh, that, that's that it right. came out. That's right. Oh, I'm thinking of the chase. The, the no, the chase, chase was at night. At yeah, night. We talked yeah. about that already yeah, I think, yeah, in, yeah. In, in a previous episode. That's right. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so and that chase was on a Friday night. So you had to work second shift on a Friday night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're such a company man. That's why yeah. you retired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't have to go until Monday afternoon, though, after that. So uh, oh, that's good. Yeah. So, and then the only other thing is she talked about on on the twelfth going to friendlies, and her mm-hmm. her her grandmother used to call it the friendlies, uh, but uh, and her and her friend were having a, a drink called the hurricane. That was something that the fr- friendlies had at that time. It was like a frozen ice cream thing or or whatever. So the the friendlies was like a you know a, a kind of local New England chain, mm-hmm. um, right out of Wilbraham. And then they they were in bankruptcy a few years ago, and then they were talking about trying to get like liquor license to actually serve serve alcohol at the, at the places. But um, I haven't been to one in God knows how long. <laughs> no, we we uh, we would go every once in a while. Yeah, it's been a long yeah. time. I guess next we'll do our famous correction section. We do have a couple things to mention here. Oh my um, goodness! I was. <laughs> I was not exactly right. You mean you were wrong? Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Malfa. I was what you just said I was just then, yeah. Last episode when we were talking about Al Stewart and the year of the cat, then we were saying, oh, it's the the Chinese year of the rabbit uh, this year. And it, it actually, that's true. But for Vietnam, which was the whole reason the year of the cat was written because it was the Vietnamese uh, calendar horoscopes that uh, Al Stewart was inspired by. It is the year of the cat again for Vietnam. So so that was one, one mistake that we made. And the other one was fairly minor, but um, it was, it was my fault when we were trying to figure out who else was named Thelma besides Thelma Houston. Mm -hmm. I mentioned Thelma Hopkins of Tony Orlando and Dawn. It's actually Telma, T-E-L-M-A, Hopkins. So, so I was r- r- wrong in that case. So just wanna. <laughs> and I did find someone else that was named Fanny, uh, reading something in the last week. That was from two weeks ago or whatever with Fanny <laughs> okay. Flag, and that bit that you put in there about 
<laughs> do you know anyone named Fanny? And <laughs> your match camp bit was awesome. So yeah. good job. <laughs> so uh anything going on in the news uh besides uh going to friendlies and going to Rhode Island? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A few things. Um April 3rd, Bobby Fisher is stripped of his world chess title for refusing to defend it, a title uh, awarded to Russian and Anatoly Karpov. So I, I remember when that whole chess match stuff was going on. Seventies mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. And then on uh April 4th, Steve Miller is arrested for burning his girlfriend's clothes. And I was like, really? <laughs> and I went out and read a little bit about it. And it was something like, yeah, they were having a fight. And he brought her clothes outside and lit them on fire. And then she called the police. And when the police pulled up, she's trying to fan the flames out, you know, put the clothes out or whatever. And he got arrested and, and charged with something or whatever. But I guess he it, really it was, is the gangster of love. <laughs> that's that's right. And of course it's 1975. So everything's made of polyester. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Probably went up like a, you know, oil rig. <laughs> and on uh, April 8th, the 47th Academy Awards. So it's funny, a little later, right? Like, because the last episode yeah. that we did in March, they were in March, but uh, the winners were The Godfather Part Two, got Best Picture and Director. And then Ellen Burstyn got Best Actress for Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. And Art Carney got Best Actor for Harry and Tonto. So, yeah, I have never seen any of those. Yeah, I mentioned how uh, Matha Hoople. Uh, figures in in a, a scene in that uh, Alice doesn't live here anymore. Yeah, Her son's yeah. listening to it. Yeah, and then uh, then on April fourteenth, just uh, looking at some of the magazine covers that came out on Time, you had the collapse in Vietnam, and then Newsweek had the sorrow and the pity, also about the Vietnam situation. And then People Magazine had Warren Beatty, and also with Goldie Hawn and Julie Christie. And Sports Illustrated had the world's strongest man, Vasily Alexiev of the USSR. And do you remember him? Because they always showed that on the wide world of sports. Wide world of sports. Yeah. 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 yeah him lifting yeah. the the huge thing. Yeah, so. That that was was always something when they had those those things in the 70s and uh, Jim McKay and the wild world of sports. What a what a what a great show. Now everyone just goes to YouTube and finds whatever they want or or the TikTok or something. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, what a great show. You'd see a lot of different stuff that you wouldn't you wouldn't normally I always like the Acapulco cliff diving. Oh yeah, yeah, that was great. You might have seen like the Globetrotters too on that. Oh yeah, you'd see the Globetrotters and you'd yeah. also see didn't they have have like Evil Can Evil too, or was that always its own special? No, I think they might have had him on that too. So anything in tech? Yeah, just this is interesting. So April 4th, Microsoft is founded as a partnership between Bill Gates and Paul Allen to develop and sell basic interpreters for the Altair 8800. That's the start of the big <laughs> the big Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. Anything uh, going on with the economy? What, what was it like in 1975? Did you have a win button? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things were... Things were bad with inflation. Uh, inflation rate was 14.1%. Unemployment rate was 5.6%. The same buying power of today's dollar was about 18 cents back then. 
cost of uh, a gallon of regular gas was 57 cents. That'd be $3.19 today. And does that match any of your real-time data? So you're a little high. Okay. okay. The 1970 square bike was filled up on the 14th, two days after this. So that was on a Monday for 52.9 cents a gallon. And it got 29.6 miles per gallon. That's pretty darn good. That's All really right. good. Yeah. Yeah. And the 1972 Volkswagen bus was filled up on the 13th, which is Sunday in Rhode Island. All <laughs> right. And it was 55 0.9 cents a gallon for 20.5 miles per gallon and there was better gas miles because it was highway mileage you know most of it was about 18 or 17 for that car and uh and i did go through the post uh the postcards i didn't find anything but i did see that a a letter was 10 cents and a postcard was eight cents then anything on the tv um yeah yeah a few things i uh picked out so uh thursday april 10th NBC at eight, uh, the TV series Sunshine, and the episode was by the book, season one, episode six. We talked about the made-for-TV movie Sunshine that spawned this series in our episode 42 from uh, March 2nd, 74. Starred Cliff DeYoung, who had the hit song My Sweet Lady from the film, and that film also featured John Denver's Sunshine on My Shoulders, so... Um, they made a series out of it, only lasted one season. On all three networks at nine, President Ford's address, and President Ford was scheduled to deliver a foreign policy address to a joint session of Congress. He was expected to key his speech to foreign aid and the trend of events in South Vietnam and the Middle East. So kind of matching what the magazine covers were at the time in Newsweek. So it was scheduled that it actually happened. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Oh, good, good question. I, uh, <laughs> that was in the TV listing, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it did. I don't okay. know that those things get canceled that often unless something real bad happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and then on so on Friday, April 11th, uh, ABC at 8, Cole Shack, The Night Stalker. Chopper was the name of the episode, season one, episode 15, and it had uh, Larry Linville on it, and also Jim Backus, two names you'd recognize. And Cole Shack's life is threatened when he stumbles into the path of a headless motorcycle riding executioner from the <laughs> 1950s seeking revenge in Chicago streets. And I... Fairly recently was flipping channels and this episode was on. I was watching it. And it was you can tell the guy riding the motorcycle just had his leather jacket like pulled up over his head and they had this like stump sticking out the top. <laughs> really, really silly looking. <laughs> Saturday, April 12th, so the day of this countdown, uh CVS at nine, you had the Mary Tyler Moore show, and uh, this episode was a new Sue Ann, season five, episode seven. So this, I remember this episode. Everyone keeps waiting for the other shoe to drop when Sue Ann plays the good sport while a sweet young thing with a terrific figure and no TV experience uh, manages to take over her show. And I remember it because at the very end, 
<laughs> all of a sudden they they ate like this dinner that the the new woman prepared and then all of a sudden they all uh, start feeling sick and Sue Ann comes out and she goes good news everybody we've all got food poisoning and <laughs> Sue Ann purposely sabotaged them, so yeah I, I I sort of remember that you know so I I just remember it because Gail and I used to you know that there was one point where we went to eat somewhere, someone's house, and we didn't like that the person was kind of showing off with all the food that they prepared or whatever. After we left, it was like, oh, good news, everybody. We've all got food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> at CBS attend the Carol Burnett show, and they had John Biner and Helen Reddy on. And the, Who's uh, John Biner? John Biner was a, a comedian back in the seventies. You'd probably recognize him if you saw him. Yeah, yeah, he was he was pretty big back then. Finally, on Sunday, April thirteenth, Cher, season one, episode eight, and she had Chris Christopherson, Rita Coolidge, Billy Swan, and Gene Stapleton. Nice. So, Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge were husband and wife at that time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So anything at the Paris or Rialto Theater? Yeah, yeah. A couple couple things that I recognized. April 1st, you had Death Race 2000 with uh, David Carradine and Sylvester Stallone. And it's in a dystopian future. A cross-country automobile race requires contestants to run down innocent pedestrians to gain points that are tallied based on each kill's brutality. So this is kind of a cult film, but it kind of cracks me up a little bit i mean here we are in in the you know we're well beyond 2000 but boy there's been a lot of pedestrian accidents <laughs> people are driving nuts so no um, people are driving nuts and yeah, yeah you know in the last three years i've known three people that have been run over and killed oh geez so, yeah yes and one of them was a colleague of ours that's right yeah yeah yeah, I, yeah, yeah so no, no yeah. laughing matter Oh no, 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 not at all. No, it's no. it's it's terrible. Yeah, and and I tell you, I was when my daughter was was learning how to drive and we're driving around. It was at dusk. I says, I says, you got to be careful because you got people, you know, running. Okay, wearing black. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it 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 could be anyone's fault, but you know, you just got to be smart about what you're doing and 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 respect the the roads. You know. Yeah, and pay the attention. People around you. Yeah. 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 The other movie was on April 25th, The Reincarnation of Peter Proud, starring Michael Sarazen and Jennifer O'Neill. I remember this discussion about this movie back then for some reason. I think the book was pretty popular, then they turned it into a movie. But it was kind of in the 70s, this sort of occult kind of stuff was popular. So, all right. So now, as Casey would say, on with the countdown. Well, Mark, maybe uh, you, know, you talk about that movie in the occult. Maybe maybe we should start a secret society. Hmm. And, and what would it be and who would belong to it? It would be secret, so... Yeah. It would be... <laughs> well, as soon as we lose our listeners, maybe it would be this podcast. Yeah, Se- secret 70s countdown society. <laughs> <laughs> this is Marie. Yeah. I'm sorry now. This is what, a Patsy Klein song or something? Uh, Connie Francis. Oh, Connie. Yeah. It hit with this in 1958, and her version went to number four. It was uh, written by 
the Tin Pan Alley songwriters Bert Calmer, Harry Ruby, and Ted Schneider. The song was originally recorded by Isham Jones and his orchestra in 1923. It was revived by Harry James in 1946. Marie's version peaked right here at number 40. And this was one of three top 40 hits by Marie. Her big one was Paper Roses that went to number five in 73. And she also had This Way, This Is The Way That I Feel, number 39 in 77. But she had more hits on the country chart. All right. Is this fake Wolfman Jack or real? Did we have this on before? Uh, we didn't, but um, yeah, it sounds like he's in there. So this is a Sugarloaf Slash Jerry Corbetta. And um, this is Don't Call Us, We'll Call You. Cut them off. <laughs> and uh, this has gotten to number nine. Trigger Wolf, famous for their hit in 1970, Green Eyed Lady, found themselves Good without song. a label in 1974. And this song recounts the experience of them trying to get a label. A big part of the game was getting a foot in the door by buttering up the A&R guys at the label with lines like, I got your name from a friend of a friend. And this uh, got the classic blow-off line, don't call us, we'll call you. And one of the labels that turned the band down was CBS Records, and Sugarloaf got retribution by revealing an unlisted phone number of the label in the song by playing the sound of the touch tones when the number is dialed. Ooh, yes. So Sugar uh, Loaf frontman Jerry Corbetta wrote this song with John Carter, who wrote the Strawberry Alarm Clock hit Incense and Peppermint. This saved them from being a one-hit wonder. Did they have to pay the Beatles or give them credit for that little riff right there? I don't know. I didn't see anything about that. Yeah, maybe it was okay then. Yeah. Even though George Harrison ripped off whoever it was. Yeah. That sounds great with headphones on. Yeah. So I know my father took the train to Munich. And I don't know if we got on the Autobahn in 1954. But when we were in Europe in 1975, we took the train around. And... Um, but we did drive in Helmut Breuer's car. It was, a, it was a Renault, if I recall, when we went out to the Alps or something from... And he was going like wicked fast on the Autobahn. Have you ever driven on the Autobahn? Nah, I've never been to Germany. So. Yeah, I haven't been there since then. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, let's see. This is April. So, in three months, I, w- I would have been in Europe. Yeah. So, uh, so this is by Kraftwerk. And what does that mean in German? 
since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. I, know. I, I know. Oh, what German, is it? It's German for power station. Oh, didn't know that. So uh, Casey said this is the first hit from a group from Germany in a long, long time. He didn't elaborate on that anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> this one peaked at number 25. And Autobahn is a pioneering song in the electro pop genre. It was the first song in that style to chart in both the UK and the US using vocoders, synths, and other electronic instruments. Kraftwerk gave rise to the British New Romantic movement, hip-hop, and techno. And uh, the album version is 22 minutes long and was intended to reproduce a journey on the motorway. Uh, band member Rolf Hunter recorded the passing cars in the background by dangling a microphone out of his old gray Volkswagen window as it traveled down the Autobahn. However, these recordings were not suitable for the song, so they recreated the car sounds using synthesizers. Hunter's vocal would become his trademark delivery, and he said, quote, it's called Sprechtesingen. Sprechsingen. He told Mojo Magazine <laughs> on October, <laughs> in October 2012. He said it means talk singing. It's like a form of rap. This started with Autobahn. Everyone at the club, he's the best one in town. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> this band is one of our favorites. But I don't remember this one. Do you? I, I don't either. Yeah, this is Living a Little, Laughing a Little by the Spinners. Off their album, New and Improved. And uh, this one peaked right here at number 37. It was a lesser known of their 18 top 40 hits. And they would have a big one later this year with Games People Play. Great song, which will hit number five uh, later in '75, and then in '76 they'll have Rubber Band Man, which got to number two. So, Amy, what you want to do? There it is, Amy by the Pure Prairie League, off their album Busting Out in 1972. And uh, this song was written by Craig Fuller, who, along with George Paul, handled vocals and string instruments for the group. Amy is a character he created. The song first appeared on the band's second album in 1972. But then in 73, Craig Fuller got drafted and had to leave the band. He worked in a hospital as a conscientious objector. And RCA Records dropped the band, but Amy didn't go away. It kept popping up on radio stations, especially at colleges. RCA resigned the band in 75 uh, with Larry Gorshern in place of Fuller. While the group was working on their third album, RCA issued Amy as a commercial single. It rose to number 27 in the U.S. This was not Pure Prairie League's biggest hit. They would have Let Me Love You Tonight, which went to number 10 in 1980 and also hit number one on the adult contemporary chart. So I saw Craig Fuller in the reconstituted uh, Little Feet 
so he took over the role of Lowell George. He was a lead singer, and he was great. You know, that was in 1988, I guess. And he was with him for a couple L- uh, LPs. And my favorite Pure Privilege song is uh, Two Lane Highway. So, I don't know if you call that. So, they're good. almost a Bo Diddley type of riff. It is. So, this is Shame, Shame, Shame by Shirley and Company. There it is. And uh, this was on our episode 30, the Disco Hits special. Oh, that's right. Uh, it was intended for uh, all platinum artist Donnie Elbert. Uh, when that did not work out, it was sent to a veteran blues vocalist Shirley Goodman with all platinum artist Jesse Alvarez. Uh, songwriter Sylvia Robinson was originally from the another 50s duo, Mickey and Sylvia, and the recording became an international disco hit and got to number 12 on the pop chart. Shirley Goodman is a New Orleans-born singer who was half of the 1950s R&B duo Shirley and Lee. And they had a top 20 hit with Let the Good Times Roll in 1956. So you've heard Shirley do shame, shame, shame. Now the disco hits band will do it. (laughs) Go back to episode 38 or whatever it was. That was a lot of fun with Jaime. That was great, yeah. But uh, Shirley Goodman provided vocals for the Rolling Stones and Dr. John, among others. After long enough of being alone, everyone must face that. I have no idea who this is. Oh, come on. <laughs> In my own time, nobody yeah. You Sam Kennison. Well, this is the Carpenters. Yeah. You were the dawn breaking the night. Richard and Karen. On AMM Records. And here it comes. But this song was called Baby Baby. <laughs> but it's not. Here it is. There it is. Only yesterday. By the Carpenters off their album Horizon. Uh, this one got to number four. Richard Carpenter wrote this with lyricist John Bettis. They were sure the song wouldn't be a hit and lost a $1,000 bet with their recording engineer, Roger Young, when they were proven wrong. Not a bad bet to lose. <laughs> this was the Carpenters' 11th number one on the adult contemporary chart. 
And Casey said this is the 15th consecutive top 40 hit for the Carpenters. And it would be their last top 10 on the pop chart. The percussion in the song is uncredited, but I wonder if it's Karen doing the percussion. Talk about going from one icon of the 70s to another icon of the 70s. The Carpenters straight into Mr. Don Doof... Don. John Duschendorf. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we had this. This is, uh, thank God, I'm a country boy. This was on our episode 7 from June 21st, 1975, where it was number 16. It had gone to number 1. And this uh, live version was recorded at the Universal Amphitheater in Los Angeles as part of the album and television special. The album was An Evening with John Denver. Ever tell you how I went to my haircut at a professional barber shop on Pratt Street and I was wearing my safety shoes, you know, they're nice shoes. I think I had them on today, actually. And they had a shoe shine guy and he shined my shoes and it looked great. And and the, it's kind of a sad thing because the shoe shine guy, he, he ended up passing away. And when I was traveling back in, in January out to Phoenix, I wore those shoes and I thought I would find a shoe shine guy at the O'Hare airport. And there's no shoe shine guy at the shoe shine guy station. So I might have to shine them because the shoe, because the shoe lady ain't going to do it at the plant. No. (laughs) (laughs) So this is shoe shine boy by Eddie Kendricks off his album for you. This single was the last of his three number one us R and B hits. And one of his final crossover singles, peaking at number 18 on the pop chart, Eddie Kendricks was with The Temptations from 1960 to 1971. Then he embarked on a solo career. Unfortunately, Eddie passed away in 1992, only at the age of 52 from lung cancer. He attributed his condition because of 30 years of smoking. So. Well, this is Bob, and this is a great song. This is Tangled Up in Blue. I don't know what I'll say it, but knowing Bob Dylan, yeah, um, it could be never. Here goes. And I'm holding up for you, for those of you who are watching on Channel 18, my Jerry Garcia band record, as I showed before, that had uh, the things you think you do or whatever it was. Well, he has Tangled Up in Blue, the last song on CD number two, 12 minutes and 60 seconds of Jerry noodling around. Wow. (laughs) And it's great. And this is a great song, too. You know, Bob's version is... This is is a top 10 Bob song. Yeah. 
So he wrote this in the summer of 1974. It's off his album Blood on the Tracks. And he had just bought a farm in Minnesota and he had been touring with the band earlier that year. And this is a very personal song for Dylan, dealing with uh, his marriage falling apart. And the predominant theme is uh, trying to escape the past. Dylan sometimes introduced this on stage by saying it took 10 years to live and two years to write. And among musicians who recorded this in uh, Minnesota with him were Billy Peterson, who became the bass player for Steve Miller, and Bill Berg, who became an animator for Disney. So there was a chemistry teacher at my high school named Mrs. Blue. And he was uh, a very tough teacher, and I avoided her because one of my brothers had her at the time this song came out. And so this song became a representation of his struggles in her class, tangled up in blue. <laughs> so uh, Bob's still with us. He'll be 82 in May. I noticed uh, as we had lunch today, um, back, you know, where all the liquor is at the, at the bar, they had some of uh, the Bob Dylan Heaven's Gate whiskey. Have you ever had Heaven's Gate whiskey? I haven't. Not much of a whiskey drinker. But, um, well, this is Stand By Me, covered by John Lennon. And, uh, so this is one of those, how do you come up with a hit in the 70s? You remake a Motown hit from the 60s. <laughs> and, up, and I see a bottle you're holding up on. Yeah, it's not 18. Heaven's Gate. It's <laughs> Heaven's Door. Don't get them mixed up. The bricks you dip in the gold and the gold you dip in the red paint. Heaven's Door. So if you knock on the bottle, you're knocking on Heaven's Door. Did you hear that? <laughs> No. <laughs> but, uh, I knocked three times. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a cover of a Benny King hit from 1961 that went to number four, and it was written by him along with Jerry Liebler and Mike Stoller. And Casey said since then it's been covered by several other artists, including David and Jimmy Ruffin in 1970. And this was, of course, used in a 1986 movie of the same name starring River Phoenix. And it was re-released to coincide with the movie, and it hit number nine in the U.S., that Benny King version. This John Lennon version got to number 20, and uh, this song has made an astounding number of appearances on the U.S. Hot 100. Cash It's Clay recorded this in 1963 on an album called I Am The Greatest. Well, was Clay absolutely of- the greatest, no matter what his name is. Yeah. I never saw that movie. Did you I see the movie? Either. No. Maybe we should have a movie night. It will drink some Evans Door. So this was one of those three songs I heard in that 70s hits playlist at the (laughs) virtual golf place. (laughs) Well, I I was going to say that this has been going on for 47 episodes. Yeah. (laughs) So this is How Long by Ace off their album Five Aside. And Per Casey, uh, one of the acts from England this week. 
So this sounds like a guy uh, is talking about a cheating lover, but this song has a very different meaning. Ace bass player Terry Comer was working with other bands. He briefly was with the Sutherland Brothers and Quiver, and he didn't tell his bandmates. And the bandmates felt cheated when they found out. Ace lead singer Paul Carrick wrote the song, and he said it was about another band who were trying to Nick, my bass player. Uh-huh. So, Paul Carrick was the lead singer of Ace. He went on to sing for Squeeze and Mike and the Mechanics. Oh, sure. And yep. he had a solo hit with Don't Shed a Tear. This was Ace's only hit. They broke up in 77. The song had a resurgence after being used in an Amazon Prime advertisement titled Binge Cheat. So there's Ace Fraley. There's the Bob Weir record ace there's the band ace of bass right Did, do you know anyone that had a nickname of ace well there's the operating system <laughs> i was shocked you didn't bring that up <laughs> well you learned that at Edo university yes <laughs> <laughs> who are doing well in the NCAA tournament right now. <laughs> I don't like sleep alone. <laughs> oh, you know what? We have another two. Well, this is the first of two of, of you know, it's like the Carpenters and Bob Denver, John Denver. Uh Gilligan's in the <laughs> countdown. <laughs> Please, Gilligan, little buddy. So this is Paul Anka with Odia Coates. And this is I Don't Like to Sleep Alone. Yeah. And uh, you got anything on this? Did we have this before? But we had Odia Coates before, right? Yeah, we, we didn't have this one. So this is off the album Feelings. This one got to number eight, written by Paul Anka. The song was nominated for the Juno Award, Canadian was one of the Grammys for single of the year in 76, but lost to You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet by Bachman Turner Overdrive. Uh, BTO. The song ranked number 72 on Billboard Magazine's Top 100 Singles of 75. Paul and uh, Odaya teamed up for four Top 40 hits, the biggest being You're Having My Baby, that went to number one in 74. And Paul's still with us. He's the same age as Bob Dylan, 81. But unfortunately, uh, Odaya Coates passed away from cancer in 1991, only at the age of 49. Oh, wow. Plus, hurts you soon. So we'll go from uh, Paul Anka in the Four Seasons to Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. So there's, there's, this is Frankie Valley all by himself. Yeah. So this is off his album Close Up. And uh, so this had gotten a number one. And this was on our episode 37 from uh, January 18th, 1975, where it was just breaking into the chart at number 40. At this point, it had been on the chart for 21 weeks. And this was written by Kenny Nolan and Bob Crew, the team that gave us Lady Marmalade, which uh, replaced this song at number one on March 29th, 1975. Kenny didn't Nolan. we have that terrible song last week by the same guy? 
Yeah, he was just in our last episode from March 1976 with I Like Dreaming at number six. <laughs> That's right. And he sang that one. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Frankie Valley's still with us. He's He'll be 89 in May. He's still touring. Maybe we should go see him. <laughs> they have concerts booked for him, like in the autumn. I was reading about uh, Tanzania or an island. Freddie Mercury is from there. At least what I read. I know he's a British citizen, maybe from India or Sri Lanka or something like that. Yeah, I I did read where he was from, but I didn't jot it down. Zanzibar. Oh, this is Queen. This is Killer Queen. Yep, this is off their album Sheer Heart Attack. So this is an open shirt album cover. They have shirts on their button. Um, (laughs) This one got to number 12. Casey said... This is a four-man group from England who called themselves Queen. Freddie Mercury wrote this song. He said it's about a high-class call girl. First single from Queen's uh, third album, Sheer Heart Attack, was their first song to chart outside their native UK. Katy Perry named one of her fragrances after this tune. Their breakthrough to superstardom came with their next album, A Night at the Opera, which would, yep. uh, had Bohemian Rhapsody on it, which was in our episode 45 from March 13th. And uh, Brian May was just knighted by King Charles. Oh, wow. Sir Brian May now. It's a good song. Not as good as this song. <laughs> I don't know that he even says the full title. It almost sounds like Jerry Reed is doing this. Yeah. uh, Amos Moses. (laughs) I did say it. Ooh, did you hear that go back and forth on the ears? Yeah, yeah. Quite the mix. So this is by the Jimmy Caster Bunch. The Birth of Butt Boogie, part one. This got to number 16. This was the follow-up to the band's 1972 top 10 hit, Troglodyte. Yeah. Uh, which also featured the Birth of Butt character, who showed up on several more Jimmy Caster Bunch tracks in the following years. It also calls back to two previous caster recordings, Hey Leroy, Your Mama's Calling You, and Luther the Anthropoid. Man, <laughs> um, who appear with the troglodyte midway through the song to boogie with the butt sisters it has been described by one critic as another self-defining hit for the band and by another as a seminal narrative of celebratory butt songs in the same vein as similar themed records such as the butt Rump Shaker and Baby Got Back <laughs> <laughs> 
The song is considered an icon of black music, bringing humor into the larger narrative that emerged in the mid 70s. Dragnet. <laughs> yeah. Whoa, ho, ho. Uh, yeah, it's a miracle by Barry Manilow off his album Barry Manilow I I. Casey said the song is by the man who took Mandy all the way to number one uh, from Brooklyn, New York. This is True Barry Manilow. Electrical. He became, uh, bef- before he became a big star, he was Bette Midler's music director, arranger, and piano player. He just returned from a three-week stint of sold-out concerts with Midler when he wrote this upbeat dance tune. This one peaked at number 12 on the pop chart and number one on the adult contemporary chart. And while it wasn't Manilow's first hit, it was the first one he wrote himself. For Cashbox, Barry is the 17th most popular artist in the 70s, just ahead of Gladys Knight and the Pips and just behind Helen Reddy. True blue electrical miracle from true. Oh, oh, oh. Here's Tony and Thelma. Oops. <laughs> Thelma? Thelma Hopkins. Elma? No, Thelma. T-E-L-M-A. So it's Thelma without the H. Drop the H. <laughs> and who's H the other one? Bomb. Joyce? Yeah. And Joyce Vincent Wilson. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, He Don't Love You, parentheses like I Love You, off the album of the same name. And Casey said, this is the hottest trio in the country. This one will get to number one. And Casey told the story about how this song was renamed because the producer couldn't remember the title. This is another, uh, how do you make a hit in the 70s? Just redo something from the 60s that was popular. This was originally a hit for Jerry Butler, who uh, wrote the song with Curtis Mayfield and Calvin Carter in 1960 under the title, He Will Break Your Heart. And that one got to number seven. The idea to remake this song actually came from actress Faye Dunaway and her then-husband, Peter Wolf, the lead singer of the Jake Isles Band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after uh, Wolf and Orlando spontaneously sang the song together while waiting to attend a Golden Globe ceremony. Oh, wow, you can't make that stuff up. Yeah, Dolly Parton covered this song as uh, She Don't Love You Like I Love You for her 1984 album, The Great Pretender. Butler, in the 2011 interview, spoke of the title change, and he said, when we released it, we didn't want to call it He Don't Love You Like I Love You because it's bad grammar. (laughs) 
There's no words in this song, are there? No, this is uh, instrumental. This is Satin Soul by the Love Unlimited Orchestra off their album White Gold. This one peaked right here at number 22. The Love Unlimited Orchestra was a 40-piece string-laden orchestra formed by American singer Barry White and served as the backing unit for White and for the female vocal trio Love Unlimited from the early 70s on. They also recorded several singles and albums under their own name. There are some familiar names in the band. Kenny G got his professional start here. No way. Yep. Ray Parker Jr. is in them. Um, No way. Saxophonist Ernie Watts, who toured with the Stones and Frank Zappa. No way. Yep. No way. Way. Yeah. And, and of course, their big hit was the number one Love's Theme from 1973. Which I think was my best song of the countdown in the last 10 weeks or so. Yeah. This was their only other top 40 hit, but they had others on the R&B and dance charts. And of course, they were put together by the great Barry White. We had this one before, didn't we? Yes, we did. This This was on our episode nine from... uh, Oh, no, these guys were on our episode nine from uh, June 29th, 1974 with If You Want to Get to Heaven, and that got to number 25. I guess we must have had this one before, but I, I don't... Oh, yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. But this um, remember it. Yeah. Songs about a woman who is in pursuit of happiness but never gives anything long enough time to make her happy. Did you say this is the Ozark Mountain Daredevils? I don't think I did. No. It's off their album It'll Shine When It Shines. Or when you polish it. We're counting down the most popular songs in the country from Kodiak to Kokomo, from Hartford to Honolulu. We had Leo on on the countdown before, right? Yeah, yeah. So this yeah. Is with Leo. his Brad Davis hair. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, this is Leo Sayer, "Long Tall Glasses" parentheses I can dance off his album "Just a Boy." And Casey said, "This is Leo Sayer from England." You know, uh, this we get to number nine. This is certainly the most famous song about a hungry hobo who has to dance for his dinner, like the guy that uh, you've met today. <laughs> he insists he can't dance, but the hosts have a, a hard and fast rule before you can eat, you gotta dance like Fred Astaire. Astaire wrote this with David. He just Steve. said hobo. <laughs> yeah. In 1973, the pair teamed up to write most of the songs for the Who frontman Roger Daltrey's Roger Daltrey's record, yeah, yeah. album. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, that same year, they made uh, Sayer's first solo album, which contained The Show Must Go On. Of course I can dance, of course I can and, dance. Uh, I hit about everywhere but in, in America. And the Just the Boy album followed in 1974, and the first single one-man band first song to get much attention in America was on it. And then Long Tall Glasses was the next single and a breakthrough hit. Uh, Sayer split with Courtney soon after and landed two number one hits in America with You Make Me Feel Like Dancing and When I Need You. And Leo's still with us. He'll be 75 in May. I wonder if that guy took my $2 in and went to get a cup of soup. That was so hard filling up that quart container of soup with like the sneeze guard and the yeah yeah you were struggling with that i think i'm too tall for that yeah i could have had you do it but you're a little taller yeah i think you're too you know uptight have you ever been mellow (laughs) i think i have (laughs) once yeah It is. So this is yeah. Have you never been mellow by Olivia Newton-John off the album? Have you never been mellow? Uh, well, here she is again. Uh, this one will get mm. to number one. I'm flabbergasted how much she has shown up in in the '70s. Uh, I mean, I knew she's unbelievable, a big yeah. artist, but it's like almost every countdown. And, uh, well, I'd rather have her than Wings. Yeah. So this was written by Australian musician and songwriter John Farrar, who was a member of the group The Shadows, and he wrote many of Olivia Newton-John's hits, including Hopelessly Devoted to You and Magic. The uh, inspiration struck Farrar when he was on tour with Newton-John in America, and he said, quote, all the guys in the band were using mellow as their favorite word. He recalled that to Billboard magazine in an interview. And uh, Newton-John earned a Grammy nomination for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, but lost to Janice Ian's at 17. Uh, Well, remember the uh, Coca-Cola version of Mountain Dew? Mellow Yellow? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I think that was... uh, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but wasn't there a car in days of thunder that was a mellow yellow car you know that tom cruise movie yeah yeah you are so beautiful this is joe cocker you're so beautiful yeah, off his uh, album, I Can't Stand a Little Rain. This peaked at number five. This is a Billy Preston, Bruce Fisher song. Uh, and it was first recorded by Preston on his 1974 album, The Kids and Me, and was the B-side of his hit single, Nothing from Nothing. 
producer Jim Price created a slower arrangement for Joe Cocker's cover. Fisher was Preston's songwriting partner, and he co-wrote both of Preston's American Chart Toppers, Will It Go Round in Circles, and Nothing from Nothing. This is one of the more romantic songs out of those guys, but Billy Preston wrote this in a, as a tribute to his mother, actually. Nice. Cocker sang this at Billy Preston's funeral in 2006. Oh, wow. That's, that's special. Yeah. Ow. Does this have an owl in it? I don't think this one does. I, I mistakenly think there's a yow in every song by these guys. But... Uh, yeah, this is, of course, Earth, Wind, and Fire. And this is Shining Star off the album, That's the Way of the World. This went to number one. So before our parent company was bought out, it was known by an acronym with three letters. That, um, And I used to actually say that this song was our theme song, particularly at really? the end of the acapella. Shining Star for you to see. That's a great song. But this was also a number one hit on the R&B charts. And Earth, Wind & Fire considered all their songs meaningful, and this one projects a positive message in a turbulent time. Maurice White Remember, said, what, what, what did they say? They said, we want to we be a nice band or something. Yeah. Well, Maurice White said about this, he said, all our music is up in the sense that it is intended to bring people to that state. Um, he came up with the idea for the song after taking a walk one night and seeing a shining star in the sky. And this won a Grammy for Best R&B Performance by a duo or group with vocals. And of course, this was in Seinfeld, used in the classic scene where Elaine tries to dance, <laughs> picking her leg up and throwing her thumbs out. And uh, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, this album also had the hits Reasons and the title track, That's the Way of the World. Sadly, we've lost a, a lot of the original members, including Maurice White, but the bassist and founding member, Verdine White, is still with us. He's 71. And also uh, singer Philip Bailey is still with us. Yeah. You know, and then there's all those songs, Black Star. You know, I think the one of the last songs of the last LP of David Bowie was called Black Star. Yeah. Right before a, he passed away. There's a Dark Star song, too, I think, right? And then, yeah, well, that's by uh, The Grateful Dead. And then there's, a, you know, the cover band, the Dark Star Orchestra. I'd rather have a Shining Star. Yeah. So there it is, L-O-V-E, parentheses, love, by Al Green. Off the album, Al Green is love. And uh, this would get to number 13 on the pop chart, written by Al Green and uh, producer Willie Mitchell and guitarist Maban Teeny Hodges. 
And uh, this song was Green's fifth number one hit on the US R&B chart. Stacy talked about Al Green once losing 15 pairs of shoes left behind after a gig in England, but because he loved shoes so much, he still owned enough to outfit every starting player in Major League Baseball or two centipedes. <laughs> That's right. I heard that. That was great. And uh, Al's still with us. Uh, he'll be 77 on April 13th. So see the Imelda Marcos of soul music? Yeah, yeah, he must be. Wonder where he gets some shined. That's right. (laughs) You know, in in next month, I'll be able to get another pair of safety shoes. Nice. (laughs) So, will you be walking in rhythm in those new safety shoes? (laughs) (laughs) Unless I leave the plant with one safety shoe on and... And a regular shoe on the other foot. Yeah, yeah like I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you? How far did you get before? Did you turn around or did you? Uh, uh, I got to the car and then uh, I noticed it and I, I turned around and went back in. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is uh, Walking in Rhythm by The Blackbirds off their album Flying Start. And this will get to number six on the pop chart and number five on the adult contemporary chart and number four on the R&B chart. And Casey said, here's a group consisting of six musicians, all full-time students at Howard University in Washington, D.C. And they come from all over the country, Detroit, Baltimore, Buffalo, and D.C. Um, so the group was inspired by trumpeter Donald Byrd, uh, received a Grammy nomination and sold over one million copies uh, by May of 1975 it was later awarded a gold disc and they would have one more top 40 hit with uh, happy music that went to number 19 in 76 and several hits on the r&b and disco charts and these guys are considered very influential to hip-hop their music has been heavily sampled by artists such as tupac shakur ice cube own luke grandmaster flash and heavy d to name a few Ooh, heavy d and the boys you gotta love that mid seventies flute right there. Yeah. And remember, it's blackbirds with a Y. Yes. Then I wish you both the best. We had this before, didn't we? We did not. We had another song by this artist. Oh. Because I saw this guy live in 2001 as part of the Texas Tornadoes. And the guy from the Sir Douglas Quintet and someone else. I'll be there the next There it is, Before the Next Teardrop Falls by Freddie Fender. His real name is Aldemar Garza Huerta. And uh, this one got to uh, number one. And Casey said, here's a man that calls himself Texas Mex. And uh, this was written by Ben Peters and Vivian Keith. Uh, It was first recorded in 1967 by Dwayne D. His version was a minor country hit going to number 44. 
Over the next few years, many other artists recorded the song, including Jerry Lee Lewis, Charlie Pride, and Dottie West. But it was Freddie Fender who had the breakout hit with the song, taking it to number one on both the country and pop charts with his 1974 version. Um, his next three singles, Secret Love, You'll Lose a Good Thing, and a remake of Wasted Days and Wasted Nights all reached number one on the Billboard country chart. I think Wasted Days and Wasted Nights. Yeah, that's the one we had before. And uh, he had a total of four top 40 hits. This was his biggest. Uh, Al Green covered this in 2018. And uh, Freddie's unfortunately no longer with us. He passed away in 2006 at the age of 69. Hmm. Well, we're going to let Casey introduce the next song, which is number 13. Lucky number 13. Ready? Sure. Have the current hit right now that pays tribute to Harry S. Truman, who, while he was president, once threatened to punch a prominent music critic after the critic had panned the president's singing daughter. It all happened back in 1950 when Margaret Truman gave her first public performance as a concert singer in Washington, D.C. And because her father was the president, there were a lot of important people there on opening night, including the music critic for the Washington Post, Paul Hume. And the next day, Fake he news. Margaret's performance. He wasn't <laughs> cruel about it, just specific about the absence of talent. In fact, he said it was hard for him to knock the performance of someone who was personally so appealing. Well, the day after his review appeared in the Post, Hume received a handwritten letter from President Truman. It said, I've just read your lousy review of Margaret's concert, and I've come to the conclusion that you are an eight-ulcer man on four-ulcer pay. It seems to me, the letter continued, that you're a frustrated old man who wishes he could have been more successful. Someday I hope to meet you, and when that happens, you'll need a new nose and a lot of beefsteak for black eyes. Signed, Harry Truman. The same Harry Truman who's become almost a folk hero. He died two years ago, and he's being remembered currently in a couple of best-selling books, a one-man stage show starring James Whitmore as the late president, and now in a hit song by Chicago. Holding at number 13 this week, here is Harry Truman. America needs you. I had no idea. I, I've heard the song. I kind of don't remember it. But what a great story. And yeah. Harry Truman is... As Casey says, a folk hero. I mean, he was he was good. Yeah. I do remember this song and also that one-man show being on TV because... Um, so this is by Chicago off of uh, their album, Chicago V-I-I-I. And, um, That's eight for those of you in... in what, did, what did Rush Limbaugh used to say? In, in Tara Linda or something like that? I forget. Yeah. But uh, my brother used to make fun of that one-man show. <laughs> it's just like Harry Truman. And, and I'll clean up what he used to say. But it's like, I once met a man. And I said to that man, you son of a bee. You son of a bee. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, what, this, what do you mean? A one-man thing? Like, you know, because Hal Holbrook did the... It was, it, yeah, it was just like that. This was uh, James Whitmore. And he, he just was sitting behind a desk. And he was just... Uh, pretending to be Harry Truman. Pretending to be Harry Truman. Yeah. I didn't know that. I knew. I, yeah. I knew about the Mark Twain, you know, Hal Holbrook thing. Yeah, that's what no. uh, Casey was talking about. With, uh, oh, okay. Tributes. Yeah. So this one got to number thirteen. Written by Robert Lamb after the we're, resignation. We're at right now. Of, uh, U.S. President Richard Nixon. 
Uh, the lyrics are a tribute to, as Casey said, uh, the former president. And Lamb felt the American people could trust the straight-talking Harry S. Truman. Yeah, quote, America needs you, Harry Truman. Uh, to quote the song. Uh, this has been described as something that starts off like a Randy Newman song and then ends oh, absolutely. like a Beatles romp. And uh, the song was performed by Chicago in late 1974 as part of the 1975 Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve special, in which Chicago guitarist Terry Cass can be seen mocking the band's lip-syncing by holding cue cards depicting the song's lyrics. <laughs> Go see if I could find that. <laughs> oh, that's great. So this is the second song on the countdown, which is part one. Uh-huh. And we've talked about a lot of songs were part ones, especially James Brown back in the day. Yeah. And so I don't know if you flipped it over. Part two was there or, or what? Yeah, uh, I don't know. So yeah, this is the yeah, Supernatural Thing Part One by Benny King. Uh, who we just uh, heard his his hit song done by John Lennon earlier. But uh, yeah, this is off of the album Supernatural. Uh, Benny King's real name is Benjamin Earl Nelson. So this got to number five and number one on the soul chart, uh, written by Harris Fear, uh, pseudonym is uh, Patrick Grant, and, uh, and Gwen Guthrie. And... Uh, Ben was a member of the Drifters in the late 50s, and then he went solo in 1960. This was his sixth and last top 40 hit as a solo artist. His biggest of was, of course, Stand By Me. And uh, he was part of five top 40 hits with the Drifters. And uh, yeah, Ben passed away in 2015 at the age of 76. We had Stand By Me at number 30 just an hour ago. Maybe it was two hours ago. Yeah. And uh, who knows I, how long I, this is? I, I I have to say I like his his version the best, uh, Benny King. Yeah. We were together since we were five. She was so pretty. Emma was a star in everyone's eyes. And when she said she'd be a movie queen, nobody left. A face like an angel. She could be anything. So this is Emma by Hot Chocolate off their album Everyone's a Winner, the very best of Hot Chocolate. And uh, this one will get a few notches higher to number eight. They're from England, and uh, frontman Errol Brown explained to the Daily Mail on Sunday, January 25th, 2009, that the story is tied to the death of my mother at age uh, 38. It was almost oh, goodness. Not re- yeah, it was almost not released as uh, Mickey uh, most their producers said uh, he thought it was too slow and morbid. Uh, but the girls in the office at the RAK Records changed his mind, and this was Hot Chocolate's first U.S. hit. They had five top forty uh, hits in America between '75 and '78, of which number three charting "You Sexy Thing" was the most successful. Mm-hmm. 
This is the Chaka Khan I like. Yeah. Oh. I'm dancing in my seat. Yeah, I can see you there. Got a suit and tie on and he's boogieing down. Yeah, this is once you get started by Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. Off the album, I love the name of this album, Rufus-sized. Ooh. <laughs> and, uh, this peaked right here at number 10 and it's written by musician Gavin Christopher. He also wrote three songs on uh, Rufus' next album, Dance With Me, uh, another big hit, Fool's Paradise, and Have a Good Time. Uh, this song is prominently heard in an episode of Good Times entitled Cousin Cletus. And uh, this is another surprise for me doing this podcast, how prominent Rufus and Shaka Khan were in the charts in the 70s. We've, we've had them quite a few times now. Yeah. Um, and didn't last week we talk about, do you know anyone named Cletus? <laughs> I think we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had nine top 40 hits from 74 to 79, then one more in 1983 with Ain't Nobody. Now that got to number 22. Number nine, number nine, number nine. So just got a message from our buddy John, who said he got panhandled too. And the security in the parking lot says, hey, man, you got to get out of here, dude. Yeah. Right? Something like yeah. that. I hope it wasn't Leo Sayre yeah. <laughs> falling on hard times. <laughs> you know, this is Barry. Not Barry Manilow. Huh? Barry White. We heard him before with the Love Unlimited Orchestra. I mean, this guy's great. Yeah. Lost him way too early. But he sounded like this because he was smoking what? Four packs of cigarettes a day? Oh, it was, it was more. I forget. It was, it was more packs of cigarettes than I've ever heard of anyone smoking. 150 cigarettes a day. Roughly between seven and eight packs. Imagine if you were Barry White's kid. You'd be, you'd be like a track star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hurry. Yeah, run like the wind. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this is uh, What Am I Gonna Do With You by Barry White, off his album Just Another Way to Say I Love You. This one will get one notch higher to number eight. And um, Casey said, look who's scoring again. Barry White with his seventh chart record. Barry explained that this song is about his first wife and love music and that's what he was saying to that lady he called music this was also a number one hit on the r&b chart white borrowed the rook doop de doop trill at the end of the song from billy stewart's 1966 rendition of summertime and white explained i use nat king cole tricks jesse belvin tricks marvin gay tricks billy stewart tricks and my own tricks and remember Tricks are for kids. Yep. Here, that's that trill. That. Yeah. Silly rabbit. I gave a girl a ride in the wagon. She called me. This is where we got the part of the name of the episode. She was <laughs> 
This is Sammy Johns, another fellow with two first names. Yeah. And you know, it's we don't have to wait very long for it to come come around, do we? No. Too bad we, this couldn't be uh, Bill Clinton's uh, theme song if it was about an El Camino. Yeah, yeah, with the astroturf in the back. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a Chevy Van by Sammy Johns. It is his real name. His full name is Sam- Sammy Reginald Johns. And uh, this one got to number five, and Casey said that this guy is so grateful for the airplay his record is getting that he is calling radio stations to personally thank them. And uh, although Johns wrote a number of hit songs for other artists, uh, most notably America, recorded by Wayland Jennings, and Common Man by John Conley and Desperado Love for Conway Twitty, he is best remembered for this song. The song features on the soundtrack to The Van, the first movie to feature Danny DeVito at the height of the van sploiting movie genre. Vans van splooting, splooting, van sploiting. Yeah. Is that like rufusizing? Yeah, yeah, or train spotting. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, this song spent 17 weeks on the chart and sold more than 3 million copies. Fortunately, uh, Sammy Johns passed away in 2013 at the age of 66. I can remember singing this with my sister closest in age. Yeah. Sister number three. Yeah, so this is uh, Lady Marmalade, or parentheses, voulez-vous coucher avec, avec soi? <laughs> That's easy for you to say. Voulez-vous coucher avec moi? By LaBelle, off their album Nightbirds. And it's Patty LaBelle, whose real name is Patricia Louise Holt. And uh, this one peaked at number one. The chorus is French for, do you want to sleep with me tonight? Ugh. And Scandal. Song, yeah, the song is about ladies of the I evening. could hear JLT saying this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, ladies of the evening in the New Orleans French Quarter. Uh, Bob Crew wrote this song with Kenny Nolan. As we Kenny Nolan. Yeah. This is the only hit credited to LaBelle. Patty LaBelle, the lead singer of the trio, recorded in the 60s as Patty LaBelle and the Bluebells, and in the 80s as a solo artist. Another member, Nona Hendricks, went on to oh sure a very eclectic solo career that yep. included a Captain Beefheart tribute. And, oh yeah, I think I have that. 
Okay. And uh, the third member, Sarah Dash, had a minor hit in 1979 with Sinner Man and toured extensively with Keith Richards. And in 2001, Missy Elliott produced a new version with Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, and Pink that was used in the Nicole Kidman movie, Moulin Rouge. That remake was wildly successful, getting the number one and winning in the 2001 Grammy for Best Pop Collaboration with Vocals. Uh, this was the group LaBelle's only Top 40 hit, but Patty had solo success in the 80s with New Attitude that went to number 17 in 85 and the On My Own duet with Michael McDonald that went to number one in 86. Lonely out tonight And the feeling just got right For a brand new love song Is this the longest somebody song besides Ditsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Poke Dot Bikini? From what I read, this is, still holds the record for the longest title of a of a number one charting song. I don't know a if number, that, yeah. Did Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini get to number one? Um, I'm thinking not, because is, is that longer? I don't know. You do a macro to figure that out. <laughs> like, I was wondering the Lady Marmalade, if you include the whole French stuff in parentheses, is that pretty long, too? <laughs> well, my thing's cut off, and, and I'm using uh, proportional font. You know, if I did it in Courier, you you could easily see that. So you could change the... Uh... No, because, well, whatever. Yeah. But this is BJ Thomas, you know, the raindrops keep falling on my head guy. Yeah. And this is a nice song. Here it goes. Won't you play another somebody done somebody wrong song? There it is, off his album Reunion. We talked about his real name is Billy Joe Thomas, or William. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this one got to number one. Yeah, as I said, it's the longest titled number one charting song to date. And BJ Thomas' second number one hit, his other being, like you mentioned, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head. He also scored many number ones on the adult contemporary and country charts, being something of a cross-genre sensation. This was written by Chips Moman and Larry Butler, who played together in a band called The Gentries. And they made their biggest impact as producers, with uh, Moman doing a lot of work with the box tops and Butler producing Kenny Rogers. And the other artists who record this song include Loretta Lynn, Frankie Lane, and Ray Conniff. And uh, we just lost BJ a couple of years ago in May of yeah. uh, 2021. So, Jaime and I used to talk about man songs. And, like, uh, sad man, bad man, guitar man, magic man. Yeah. Lots of man songs. Because he's a sad man. He didn't go to Vietnam. We invented that song. Single-handedly, 
the best first audition I have ever heard. You don't have and this is... You're the poetry man. You make things There it is. Poetry Man by Phoebe Snow. Uh, her real name is Phoebe Ann Laub. And uh, this one peaked right here at number five. Uh, she said this is the second song she ever wrote. And um, it's all about having a relationship with somebody. From the words, you can probably deduce that the guy was married. It was a bad thing to do, she said, but uh, she got a lovely romantic sonnet out of it. And Phoebe Snow's album was released when she was 22 years old. She toured with Jackson Brown. But uh, unfortunately, this is sad. A promising career was cut short when her daughter was born with brain damage and Phoebe stayed home to care for her. Uh, she had one other hit, Gone at Last, which she recorded with Paul Simon and uh, Jesse Dixon. Great song. That one hit number 23 in the U.S. in 75. And uh, Snow also sang numerous commercial jingles for many U.S. products during the 80s and 90s, including General Foods International Coffees, Salon Selectives, and Stouffer's. Phoebe refused to institutionalize her daughter and cared for her until her daughter died in 2007 at the age of 31. And Phoebe unfortunately passed away in 2011 at the age of 16. So last weekend on Sirius XM, the song, it was 1975 again. And uh, Casey was talking about how um, Phoebe Snow got her name which was from the Delaware Lock on Western Railroad that went by her house in New Jersey and the uh, uh, because they burned anthracite and not petunias uh, soft coal you would uh, it would make all the soot so, so the, that's, the name of the train was the Phoebo Snow So, here's another thing. How many songs about trains? We've, we've heard quite a few so far. On this countdown? Not on this countdown, but just in general. Long train running. That, that's one for sure. Southbound train, I think there was one, right? But Do we um, ever hear a whistle in this song? We do. When I got back from <clears throat> our lunch... I heard the train whistle. So thank goodness. <laughs> I didn't get uh, caught by the train coming back for my meeting that had been scheduled strangely. <laughs> yeah, so this is uh, Express by... BT Express, and we've seen uh, we've seen BT Express a couple other times with uh, their two other top forty hits, Peace Pipe and Do It Till You're Satisfied. Uh, that was on our Disco Hits episode. Do It Till You're Satisfied. Oh, that's right. Yeah. This one peaked. You've heard, number. you've heard BT Express. Now hear the Disco Hits band doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this one peaked at number four and number one on the R&B and dance charts. It's an instrumental written and performed by BT Express. It features the sounds of train whistles, which are heard in several sections of the instrumental track. The only words, uh, here comes the Express, the Express, chug, 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 chug. 
Oh, our <laughs> set. Right now. The lady that I know just came from Colombia. She smiled because I did not understand. She held out some marijuana, uh-huh. She said it was the best in all the land. And I said, no, 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 I don't smoke it no more. I'm tired so, of picking up. I, I remember kids singing this back in. <laughs> really, I, I, I don't recall. I remember the song, I don't recall people singing it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I grew up in the inner city, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is the No No Song by Ringo Starr. And uh, this one peaked right here at uh, number three. It was written by country music singer Hoyt Axton. Oh, wow. Player David Jackson. Uh, Hoyt Axton, isn't he buddies of uh, that other band? Uh, uh, we just had him on a few weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not those guys said, yeah not that you said well i'll stick it in here <laughs> okay uh, yeah but uh axton struggled with drug abuse early in his career and was poking. joy to the world uh three dog night yeah three dog night yeah he was poking fun of himself in this song i like the album cover of this it's a take on the movie the day the earth stood still it's the album oh sure Indiana, yeah with ringo coming out of the spaceship yeah hoy axton released his own version of the song in 75 after it became a hit for ringo his rendition was issued as a single and included on his album southbound the stoner comedians cheech and chong make an appearance on axton's version <laughs> Ringo's still with us. He's 82. And, and I just thought about this. Since we know Paul is dead, um, that makes Ringo the surviving Beatle, doesn't it? <laughs> all, all I can think of is that Ringo Starr and, and the band, when they did this, must have had a blast. It just yeah. seems like a fun, such a fun song. I, okay. You know, I was thinking that, you know, uh, you know, all the Beatles single hits, you know, in the 70s, I think I like. Ringo's the best because they're all fun songs. The, yeah. You know, it's it's like he had some fun with it. He's not the others are just McCartney had his ridiculous stuff, but the other guys, it's just eh, a little too deep, you know. <laughs> Have some fun. <laughs> well, this isn't very fun unless you like birds and babbling brooks. Yeah, and someone who will make your tweeters go. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable range. Yeah, but ugh. yeah. So this is "Loving You" by Minnie Ripperton off her album "Perfect Angel," and Casey uh, said. Minnie has a five-octave range voice, and it's said that when she hits the high notes, like you just heard there, her voice is indistinguishable from a string instrument. So, uh, Ripperton wrote this with her husband, Richard Rudolph. Uh, I think we mentioned this before. Maya Rudolph of Saturday Night Live is their daughter, and Ripperton mentions her in the lyrics of this song. In the end, she sings... 
Maya, Maya, Maya. And, uh, well, Richard Rudolph has two first names, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ripperton worked with Stevie Wonder as a backup singer, and Stevie produced this track for her. But due to contractual obligations, Wonder's name could not appear in the credits. So he's listed as Black Bull Productions, which was Stevie Wonder's zodiac sign is Taurus. So that's why the Black Bull. Uh, this was featured in the 1997 movie Vegas Vacation, where Wayne Newton sings it with Beverly D'Angelo at one of the Vegas shows. And unfortunately, uh, Minnie Ripperton died of cancer in 1979, only at the age of 31. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this was only her only hit, but she was held in high regard in the music community. We had this before, either last year or this year. Yeah. This is about tennis team tennis the philadelphia freedom this is the elton john and the elton john band this is the yeah. philadelphia freedom yeah this is off of the mca label this was in our episode seven from uh yeah june 21st 75 where it was still on the charts at number 18 and and yeah as you mentioned uh Elton requested this song with the title Philadelphia Freedom to honor his friend, tennis player Billie Jean King, who was uh, coaching up or in a tennis league called the World uh, Team Tennis uh, Association. And uh, in 74, King coached a team called the Philadelphia Freedoms. And um, the OJs and Melvin and the Blue Notes recorded version of this song. Yep, that's it. So that's the number one song for the week ending March, excuse me, <laughs> April 12th, 1975. And uh, we had a great weekend in Rhode Island then. And uh, you know, Gail had some great stories. And, mm -hmm. No snowstorms. No, no. It's April. But uh, all right. It's right. on to our countdown of the best and worst and everything else. Here we go. Yep. So the uh, first thing that we always do is that song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled. Your agonizer, please. No, Mr. Slug. She has a great voice, but nevertheless, I, I picked number two to agonize you. Cue up the music. And, and to hear the story about how her, she didn't live long. Yeah. It makes me sad that I chose this as the agonizer. Me too. I, when, you, when you told that story, now not more than five minutes ago, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, I feel so awful. Yeah. But, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, this is, uh, this is, you know, not, not in our, uh, in our wheelhouse in terms of taste but uh, no. but she she's got a great voice i mean oh without a doubt fantastic so yeah yeah so in case he her. you know his words about it were right there so this is a melancholy agonizer in my mind yeah yeah so 
What what do you have for a best song of the countdown? Oh, you want me to do that? Yeah, sure. You you do it. We'll mix it up. Yeah. So so I'm going to surprise you. Oh, okay. With number 24. That is surprising. I love this song. Yeah, it's a. It's, to me, it's one of uh, Barry's better, better songs. Yeah. And you I think saying, I could hear myself rolling down the windows and cranking it up. Yeah. And you know, call me a weirdo, but this is fun. And <laughs> trust me, there are other songs that. I mean, I could sing along to this song. You know, that's 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 really what I think I love about it is is I know the song so well that yeah, and and it's it's it makes me smile. Yeah, and the other thing is this this was the one Barry wrote himself, right? And uh, yeah, and it's it's really upbeat. Yeah, yeah, I I like this one too. And then he met his father thirty years later. Yeah. So I hope I surprised you. I think you, I did. So, you certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Sure. Um, so, so the thing is, is I, I think I could probably go to something and not be surprised. So you tell me what it is right now. I think this will be no surprise at all. This was the easiest choice ever for me looking through this countdown, and and that was number seventeen. Yeah. I can see Elaine dancing to it right now. Yeah. I probably saw that episode once, but I understand that because when we saw Deep Purple with John, <laughs> you know, three and a half years ago, you said that that uh, Ian Gillen was dancing like Elaine. Yeah. When when the band was doing their thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's I hadn't remembered that for forever, and then when you brought that up, yeah, it made me smile when you when you uh, talked about the Seinfeld. Uh, you know, earlier in the episode. Yeah. Great song. But, I'm but with this, this is, this is great. I, I think it's head and shoulders above uh, everything else in the countdown. And I don't know. I, I think I've that's picked, a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've picked earth, wind and fire songs more than once for my uh, best song now. So, so uh, I'm going to go right next door to this for the worst song in the countdown, number 18. You are so I would take my radio and rip it out of the <laughs> dashboard <laughs> and throw it in the street. This is awful. Yeah. I, I cannot stand you this. It is. So yeah. I, I total, total sap. With, I mean, Joe Cocker is important, but I don't really care for him. Yeah, I, I nearly picked this as your agonizer, so I would have been on the right track, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, again, I, you know, it's popular, a lot of people like it, but uh, not not my thing either. This wasn't your wedding song, was it? No. No, actually, the birth of butt boogie was my wedding song. <laughs> oh, so beautiful. 
I, I'm going to turn this off because I can't stand it. Okay. <laughs> what is your, what is, what's something else that will do to agonize me because it's your worst? Um, yeah, I don't know if it'll agonize you, but uh, I, I just think it doesn't, doesn't belong in the countdown. And that's number 40. Marie? Yeah, I think I've picked on her twice now, or I picked on her and Donnie one time too. But um, again, you know, Going Coconuts, best movie ever. But, um, you know, in 1958 with Connie Francis, this is fine. But on the pop charts as a remake in 1975, nah. I I just, yeah. All right. You know, Marie does fine with it, but it's just... Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> it almost sounds like the Ray Conniff Orchestra in the background. You know? yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the top 40 pop songs in the country. Yeah. Well, she was a winner. You know, yeah. think of this. The number one LP of the week was Led Zeppelin, Physical Graffiti. <laughs> yeah. Goal was Al Green, and country was Merle Haggard with something I didn't write down. Yeah. So... You know, juxtapose this with uh, physical graffiti. So, yeah. 70s were great with, for music. Yeah. Even, yeah. even the worst song of the countdown. So, all right. How about you give me your guilty pleasure? Yeah. This, this again, was another very, very easy pick for me. I, I went with number seven. Because you love Kenny Nolan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is I, a great I remember, song. I remember yeah. this song. I remember we would, you know, me and my sister. Yeah, I remember there was a, a French Canadian family that lived across the street, and the, the, supposedly the mother, when she first heard this, went, "Oh my God, do you know what they're saying?" It's so funny because Jim W at work, and I don't know if he listens to the podcast. And he was saying he grew up in uh, the hardware city. And as children in the 70s, they were all told to go to sleep early at like summertime. And the French Canadians across the street would have parties and they'd be peeping out the windows. And I said, oh, so it was like the middle of the summer when, of course, no houses had air conditioning at the time or a window air conditioner. And you're just like sweating in your bed. <laughs> Remember that growing up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, this is. Um... I'm with you, man. Yeah. This is an iconic '70s song. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this next one is. But this is my guilty pleasure, number fifteen. Now, when I get my new safety shoes, <laughs> I like this song. This is, yeah, this is a good so song. well put together. Is this Philadelphia? Where'd this come from? Because um, it kind of sounds like it. It's good. Yeah. Well, the, these. Oh together. crap! I'm gonna break the rules. Uh oh. For I didn't for what, mean the to. Story? No. The Divergent. Well, we we said that the Divergent is open because it's so hard. Okay. I just realized that. The thing is, is that the way that you you put this, you don't put like 
you know, control enter for hard carriage returns in the that was on the next page. It was on page four. This is on page three for the guilty pleasure. And I don't want to, you know, mess up your formatting. Love this song. Great song. Guilty pleasure. Yeah, really good. All right. Should I give you my story song of the week? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, Let's hear what you came up with. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip that started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. <laughs> okay. Autobahn. Yeah. Like Kraftwerk. <laughs> and... The power station. Remember, remember the group in the eighties, the super oh, yeah. power station. Well, it was uh, Robert Palmer and the guys from Duran Duran, and I think Bernie Edwards from uh, from Chic. Yeah, yeah. And because uh, this is about going for a ride on the autobahn. Yeah, yeah, and it was you know, what did I say? The length was like twenty minutes long. It was supposed to be simulating, and the guy. So- was recording with a microphone out the window of the Volkswagen. <laughs> so, uh, my freshman year of college, I discovered Kraftwerk because I think I was listening to the our station that was, uh, you know, ninety one point three at the, which just celebrated its fiftieth year, and I heard, or someone in the dorm heard uh, Kraftwerk. Uh, the, the the record pocket calculator or the song pocket calculator from Computer World and I went out and I bought the LP Computer World by Kraftwerk and I got into Kraftwerk because I thought it was freaking awesome and I, I have this in the collection huh. and uh, I think I have a bunch of Kraftwerk you know Trans Europe Express and if, if I went to my uh, my printout Where's my, where's my, uh, over here someplace? Yeah. I, I gotta say, this is, um, if you think about this being 75, it's really innovative. You know, if, if this came out in like, you know, 1982 or something, you'd be like, oh yeah, but this is a yeah, trend setting. Yeah. So let's see. I have my, my LP collection. It was I printed out on my my dad's computer in uh, in the 80s. For those of you looking, you can see the the holes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, dot matrix. <laughs> dot matrix printer. And let's see. This is Craftwork. Craftwork Autobahn. I bought it July 8th, 1987. So that's when I was on my trip cross country. What's your story song of the week? Yeah, yeah, I, I struggled a little bit, but um, I, I ended up going with number twenty nine. You know, this is a great song too. Yeah. Now, with all the what I was talking about there, I should have put the LP on so I had the whole twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
That's all we need is to make these longer. <laughs> I love this song too. This is great. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, like I, there were some other choices in there, but I thought to myself, I, I like this song. I'd like to hear it again when we're doing our picks. So, and oh, I, yeah. Well, that's Autobahn was that for me too. Yeah, yeah. So that, um, yeah, it's, um, and it's telling a story, this song. So I didn't realize it was a story about how the, another band was trying to steal the bass player, but <laughs> now we know. <laughs> Remember the guy that plays the bass? From Mr. Roberts. He's the guy that plays the bass. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like a violin. <laughs> Wimpy, wombly, wambly. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, off to the Magic Kingdom. <laughs> That's right. Okay. All right. I'll do my diversion songs. I'm going to start with the one that I've, I broke the rules. I'm walking in rhythm. All right. Okay. I'm just kind of walking. I'm going in rhythm. Meanwhile, nice and slow, and then I'm going to go. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm on the express, man. Wow. So, yeah, that makes sense. Well done. And, and this is very interesting. Um, because you can leave this song on. Okay. You're you're on the train. You're on the express. So uh, this is uh yeah you're you know you're on the train. So that's a uh, mass transit, right? But uh, then you're gonna go to number thirty-eight. Beautiful. You're on the autobahn in your car. <laughs> so it's not mass transit at all. <laughs> That's right. You're creating, creating global warming. Yeah. You're not following the rules of of the elite that says that you should get out of your car and and walk to get your groceries. Yeah. Uh, car versus train's a very bad accident, so you don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of cool, kind of well, the the express isn't fully instrumental, but it's almost a, a total instrumental. So, it's same thing with the autobahn. You know, a little bit of words here and there, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Do we want to listen to this as we uh, wrap this up? No. Well, should you put on the twenty-minute version? <laughs> we have a lot to discuss about this. Okay. So let, let me let me find something else to get us out of here. Let's see. Uh... All right. All right. So, what do you give this countdown? All right. So, my individual ratings on this one: I had fifteen good songs, twenty neutral, three bad, and two sad. I gave this a C minus based on that score. It's you know less than half the songs I rated good. It's a slight improvement off our episode thirty seven from uh, January of seventy five, where that only had thirteen good songs, and I gave that a D plus. So, <laughs> and you had a hard time using my my macro. Huh? Yeah, I so. think the problem was I I messed with the columns before I went to use your macro, so. Um, you can't do that, man. Happened. Okay, I'll uh, I'll have to do something else. 
All right, well, I give this a B minus, and I didn't rate anything. This is just gut. Okay. And uh, so, so far, with through episode 48, and there's two of them that we don't count, which is Disco Hits and the Christmas one. So it's 46. You like 22 more than me. I like 15, and we tie on 8. Okay. So, so it's it's interesting because I, I've, I've really hammered the these uh two seventy five episodes the 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 june seventy five what did i give that one i have it right here um, i think that was a little bit better june seventy five you gave a c plus yeah so i i gave it a, a b minus the same thing yeah yeah so um it's interesting so normally statistically you're you're a little harsher than i am but but on the 75 ones you've been a little bit more lenient um yeah fair enough but i just what about episode 27 let's see you gave it a b minus and i gave it a uh excuse me you gave it a c plus i give it a b plus uh, uh november 75 Okay, so yeah, yep. so pretty, yeah, pretty consistent. But I mean, you know, the the song, this uh, chart had its, its highlights. Uh, but I found it very easy to pick my uh, my best and my guilty pleasure out of this. Yeah. Uh, so yep. that's usually a sign that there's not a lot of good stuff in it. <laughs> All right. So let's see. All right. So as we roll out of April 12th, 1975, what would Casey say? Yeah, I think Casey might say, keep living a little, keep laughing a little. And you can find us on Twitter at 70s Weekly or at 70s Weekly. And all of you, thanks for listening. Give us a uh, five-star rating and maybe a little bit of words in the Apple Podcast Machine. And uh, keep your podcast machine right where it's tuned. Take it easy, folks. Take it easy, folks.